And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It is Thursday, November 17, 2011. You are listening to today's edition of The Ugly Truth Podcast. Heard on this fine podcasting network, theuglytruth.podbean.com. Welcome to the program, folks. And as always, thank you for attending. We have a very interesting program lined up for you today, folks, with two fine fellows who have appeared on this program many times before, one of whom is Keith Johnson. Should be uh, no surprise to any of you out there. And the other is Chuck Carlson of We Hold These Truths. Both of these fine gentlemen uh, last weekend crawled into the belly of the beast, so to speak, and went to one of these anti-Islamic Christian Zionist skinhead conferences in Tennessee, and they are here to tell us about what they witnessed themselves at this. Folks, we are joined by none other than Keith Johnson, star reporter with American Free Press Newspaper, and webmaster of RevoltOfThePlebs.com, and good old Chuck Carlson of We Hold These Truths Ministries. Fellas, uh, welcome to the program, and as always, thank you for coming. Well, thank you, uh, Mark. It's uh, great to be back after all this time. Uh, right. <clears throat> Thanks also, Mark, except good young is better than good old, so <laughs> I'll forgive you for that, I suppose. Yeah, I really uh, can't. I, I can't I'll, justly I'll, do that, I Chuck. I won't get mad yet. I, yeah, <laughs> I saw you a couple of weeks ago, and you've got a head of hair on you like uh, like Peter Frampton, and, uh, of course, my hair has long since uh, given up the ghost, so you're right. I have no business calling you good old Chuck Carlson. I say that, of course. Wait, Mark, have you seen, have you seen Peter Frampton lately? He's bald. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the Peter Frampton <laughs> the that, I, that I knew okay, growing up. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> fellas, uh, you heard my introduction to today's discussion involving uh, the Christian Zionist skinheads that you you were dealing with down there in Tennessee. Uh, is there any point of that that you would disagree with? Let's hear from you first, uh, Keith. Well, I've uh, come to uh, believe that uh, Tennessee has now become ground zero for Islamophobia. Um, I mean, uh, it's uh, the home of the uh, controversy concerning the Murfreesboro Mosque uh, that was um, uh, proposed to be built in that city, and uh, primarily, it was, I mean, basically, it was just they wanted to move into larger headquarters than where they were prior, which was just a, you know, modest little, in, you know, a garage, basically, in an industrial complex, and, uh, you know, hundreds of white folks uh, showed up with, uh, you know, uh, pictures of pig heads and, uh, you know, dogs to intimidate the, uh, uh, the Muslims during their, uh, their uh, 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 prayers. And uh, it was just a disgusting display. It's also um, uh, where they've been trying to pass legislation that would uh, outlaw uh, not only Sharia, but any kind of um, Islamic practice. In other words, if you wanted to lay a rug down and, and, and pray towards Mecca, that would be illegal. If you wanted to wash your feet, that would be illegal. Anyone who uh, was to do so uh, would be uh, uh, guilty of a felony and uh it's, you know, uh, luckily that law did not pass, but uh, they're not giving up, believe me. And uh, so, yes, this this is home. This is Islamophobic Central. Uh, these are some of the stupidest backwards people that I have ever met. Um, you know, I'm not saying that uh, to, uh, you know, 
throw any kind of disparaging remarks against the t- Tennessean people. Uh, you know, the ones who are smart, they're really smart. But the ones that are dumb, and there's many of them, are really dumb and are still, uh, I think, um, you know, they still, I don't know if it's something genetic or if it's something passed down from generation to generation, but they're still holding that uh, racist uh, that racist gene that uh, kind of harkens back to the old uh, antebellum South. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, I mean, let's put this in perspective, Keith. Uh, you know, I, I would liken them to people no different than uh, the Americans who, on Halloween night, uh, back in the uh, back in the 30s, I believe it was, uh, who were listening to this radio broadcast, uh, Orson Welles and War of the uh, Worlds, and were freaked out. They, you know, I mean, they they were running here and there, believing that the Martians had invaded, and there was no reaching them. There was no reasoning with them. Uh, basically, we're dealing with the same kinds of men, the same kind of mentality here, I, and I think that it's across the country. I don't think it's just something that is localized to Tennessee, because uh, literally, I mean, you see it all over the place. Chuck Carlson, uh, your thoughts on the opening uh, of the program and the comments I made? Is there anything that you would disagree uh, with in that? Well, uh, well, I, I, I would say that uh, I, I, that was my it's my first time in Tennessee, and I met some really Nifty people there too, uh, and uh, and I would say that uh, the people that uh, we saw at this church, uh, Cornerstone Church, which is the same name by the way as John Hagee's church uh, in um, Texas, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, but uh, I would say the mix of people that went in there is pretty much typical of the people that go in evangelical churches. But I've seen other places around the country. I don't think they're any different. Uh, you do have a, a fanaticism that has been taught uh, a lot more intensely there, and uh, uh, there are a predominance of uh, evangelical churches there, whereas some places it's more balanced. Uh, in, in, the, in the Bible Belt, you have more evangelical churches and less mainline churches and smaller mainline churches. I don't know exactly what the mix is, but... Uh, we saw lots and lots of beautiful Cadillacs and and BMWs and great-looking cars driven by people that looked like they had uh, plenty of money, big houses, and were anything but stupid. Uh, but but they were still being influenced by uh, by this cornerstone church, uh, which does indeed preach uh, racism and has hosted more than one of conference like this. I looked back and found out where the same church less than a year ago had Gert, Gert Wilder mm-hmm. in the same church mm-hmm. screaming his Aryan lunacy uh, to the same people. And, and he actually visited the church. So he would have spoken to maybe 3,000, I think there were 3,900 members to this, this in this church. And he would have spoken to all of them and that's going to have an impact on them, and if they came back and were still there after hearing Kurt Wilder, uh, you got to believe that they'd been influenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so uh, yes, they have certainly been influenced, and there is a, a incredible influence down there. That is, uh, Keith is kind of frightening, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is very frightening, and uh, there's it really was to be. To be among them, you really think, my God, these people have listened to Kurt Wilder. 3,000 people in a church listen to Kurt Wilder who would never say one 
there would never be one iota of Christianity that would be spewed by Kurt Wilder, and yet they've come back another mm -hmm. time. I wonder why they came back. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just be honest about this, uh, fellas. I, I was thinking about this this weekend after I had uh, spoken to Keith about uh, about the what you guys were doing. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that those people who are there are there because they want to be. Okay, they want to be because there is something about the message that is taking place there that tickles their fancy. Okay, uh, I mean, let's face it. You know, the country is falling apart. People are uh, scrambling to put food on their tables if they even have a table to put food on because their houses have been foreclosed upon. Uh, and so, you know, all of this general angst, uh, it's very easy for feeble-minded people, and I do, I, I wish I could come up with a better description, folks, but I can't, feeble-minded individuals who can easily be talked into believing in the boogeyman. Um, it, it's easy to get them to direct that, that negative energy and that anxiety in a direction where they feel like... Um, you know, they're able to get it out of their system, okay? So, you know, this gathering that took place, and this is only one of many that take place on a weekly basis around the country, those folks are there basically because they want to be there, okay? If there was ever a time, if there was ever a time in this nation's history where uh, Jewish power... And the ability of this very small, well-organized, powerful group of people to influence things and to uh, steer the country in the direction that they needed to go in. If there was ever a time in this country's history where it was in your face and blatant and undeniable, it's right now. And yet, okay, as the country is falling apart, uh, these individuals across the country who are out to get them Muslims, okay, rather than see the trouble that this other group of people are causing across the country. Instead, they focus their energies on basically a group of people who are defenseless. Because what can they do? What can they do? They have no power. They have no voice. Uh, the entire country, the entire country's infrastructure, political and legal infrastructure, is dead set against them. Okay? So this just gives them the opportunity... Uh, to to beat up on a group of people who can't fight back, Keith. Your thoughts on that? Well, yes, most definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, Muslims comprise less than one percent. I think it's zero point six percent of the population, and mm -hmm. they're easy targets. Mm -hmm. And um, and and they're uh, and they're very they're they're put in such a position that they're they're scared out of their minds and that was something and I'm talking about Muslims you know uh that was something that was apparent when we uh Chuck and I went out to try to seek some kind of support from the Muslim community to meet us out there on Sunday to hold signs uh it ended up just being he and I mm -hmm. and uh we visited the largest uh the largest mosque in Nashville, Nashville Central. It's not the largest one in Tennessee, but certain, but uh, the, the man I spoke to there at the Islamic Center said it was the largest in Nashville. And it really is an experience to visit this mega church with 3,200 seats and then go to the south side of town in the poorer section of town where this Islamic community, where this Islamic community center is. And it's no bigger than a three-bedroom house. As a matter of fact, I think it probably is uh, uh, converted from a three-bedroom house. 
and it's run down. It's got a small little parking lot with hardly any cars in it, and the cars you do see there are, are either taxi cabs or older model, you know, vehicles. And um, there's no lock. I mean, there's 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 a lock on the door, but the door's not locked. Anybody can enter at any time. And um, you know, we went in there. We're trying. You know, we, we gave our pitch, saying, you know, hey, listen, you know, this 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 conference is coming, and it'd be nice if we can get some some support from from your group uh perhaps some some younger people would be uh, interested and uh you know the guy was you could tell was a little suspicious not knowing exactly what our agenda was and he heard me talk you know i'm giving him my whole spiel about you know uh, where this is all coming from uh and you know that a lot of uh you know zionist organizations are behind this and he kind of just shook his head you know he didn't offer in anything like yeah those those damn jews are after us or anything like that he just kind of just took it in and at the very end you know he said you know you guys can go home after this thing you know after this vigil mm-hmm. but it's you know it's going to make us easy targets and we don't want to do anything mm-hmm. that would even in the least slightest bit look confrontational mm-hmm. And this was, you know, really something that I, I, I could feel exactly what he was talking about, and I can, I was, I concurred with him. You know, hey, you know, that's true. You know, we don't want to put you in a position like that. Um, but these people are the most gentle. You know, I mean, while we were there, two white guys sitting in in this office, which is no bigger than probably the size of a jail cell, like eight by ten. You know, there were people who were coming in. Um, taking their shoes off, looking in the office, and they didn't hold us, you know, they didn't look at us, at us with any suspicion or with any hatred or anything. We got smiles and, you know, um, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was, um, it was completely, uh, a, a, a com- the, the antithesis of the portrayal that um, that they gave at this conference. They They were saying, you've got enemies in your community that want to kill you and uh, they're they're very aggressive and they're angry and blah 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 so on and so forth i was there i was there at this conference on friday before i picked chuck up and uh, they were they were saying you know these these people are uh, um, these mosques are used as jihad training centers and you know they're very angry and they don't like us and then you go out on the street there's not one protester there's nobody there mm-hmm. and like i said we tried to rally support from the muslim community they didn't want anything to do with it mm-hmm. so it just it just took the wind out of the i mean if 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 any of these people in this church would just simply go down to the poor section of town and and walk into these mosques it would be a life-changing experience but sure. see they're encouraged not to do it mm-hmm. they're encouraged not to do it they're uh, they're told that the that the muslims are are um, are, are very uh, devious and they're very uh, clever and they'll uh, they'll fool you so what they're basically saying is um, uh, your god is not as strong as their god who is apparently satan um, but, uh, you know, apparently you can't trust yourself to go into these things because you'll be deceived. You can't do a little prayer and say, Jesus, you know, please guide my heart and, 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 and you, you show me the way. Let me see what these people are like so I know in my heart and my conscience what these people are all about. Um, but they're encouraged not to do that. But if they were just simply did, mm-hmm. really, I mean, it would be a life-changing experience for them, and they would see that there is no threat. Mm-hmm. No, I, I cannot disagree with anything you just said, Keith. It's uh, it really is going. It's going to be one of those things that historians are going to look back on this, 
and it it will be one of the most embarrassing, if not the most embarrassing moments in the history of human civilization. The fact that that so many people uh, were were well, I, look, look. I mean, I, I assume that you two fellows uh, have been to camp when you were kids. And, you know, they used to do this thing uh, called snipe hunting, okay, that they would do with the boys. They would, uh, um, you know, the older men, the fathers, they'd say, hey, fellas, let's go snipe hunting. And, uh, and, and so they'd get the boys all worked up, you know, the, uh, you know, they'd say, okay, the snipe, you know, he only comes out at night and, uh, and, and he's real tricky and, and, you know, real hard to catch. Uh, but but they're a lot of fun to catch, and the boys are all getting worked up, and you know, and then all of a sudden the boys are all running through the woods screaming and hollering, uh, and the men are sitting back at camp laughing, watching all of this take place because there's no such thing as a snipe, and you know, okay, we we look back on it now as adults, and remember when we did it at camp, and you know we're mildly embarrassed, but you know what can you expect? We're kids. But that's basically what is going on here, the only difference being that millions of people are dying in the process, and it will lead to the disillusion and dismemberment of this country if it is not stopped. Chuck Carlson, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I'd like to amplify on, on uh, uh, what, what uh, has been said. The, uh, uh, after, uh, um, I, I stayed a little while at the... At the mosque, uh, and uh, Keith went on home. He had, he, had, he had to leave, so he missed out on really the, the fun part of the evening there, because they asked me if I would like to stay and and, and uh, sit in on their prayer and the and the lecture by the imam. And, and the imam showed up, and it turned out that he was younger. He was the youngest guy in the room. And uh, in case people don't know it, uh, those associations like the one we we're in, uh, they basically hire the. Uh, it, uh, the imam, and uh, so he's trained and he knows how to. He, he's probably memorized the Quran, but but he's he's uh, he's an employee of the association. And the people we were talking to were basically the board of directors, who are all volunteers. And so uh, they invited me to sit in with that on the floor and uh, and uh, listen to uh, the lecture and then a debate that went on. And it was over food. Their argument was not over how to kill Christians or anything. It was about what kind of food they should eat. And it seems sort of out of place to me to, to be worrying about that when when there was going to be a conference, uh, uh, you know, that when there was a conference that day that talked about killing them and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they invited me to stay for dinner. Uh, somebody's brother had died, and they had uh, uh, condolences for someone. And uh, he was actually killed in a foreign country. And they were all uh, consoling the brother, and then someone brought in all his pizza, which is all vegetarian pizza, and we all sat in the four and ate pizza, and I didn't get home until 9 o'clock at night or something like that, and one of them came over who had got interested in talking to me, and then he wanted to take me and give me a ride home, and and, uh, and I, I I did a ride home. He gave me a ride to my hotel, uh, and as, as, uh, as Keith said, I, I wish Keith could have been there to enjoy it because it was so simple and so humble. Mm-hmm. And uh, so friendly, uh, and the people hug you when you leave. And there were a bunch of kids that said they would really like to come out and help us. But I knew, kind of in my heart, that mm-hmm. when they when they uh, they were 16 year olds, one of them had a car. But I knew darn well that when they asked their parents, their parents would probably say to them, "I don't think you should go." And uh, I found out one thing about those families is they do they they do obey the parents. If the parents say stay home, they'll they, sure. they won't go. Oh yeah. 
So it didn't surprise me when when the when the five kids, they, but they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And and I, I guess my message out of all this is that we were we were really talking to nice people, mm-hmm. but the but the future is really with the kids. The younger people are activists. They're more they want to do things and. Uh, they uh, they see the fallacy of sitting around on their hands and not doing anything, and uh, so I think that's their hope as well as our own hope in mm-hmm. our own community, in mm-hmm. our own churches. Yeah, and let's face it, Chuck, you can't blame the parents for saying no. Uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, you're, the first instinct that a parent has is to keep his his children, his or her children, uh, far from physical harm. And let's face it, what we're dealing with here are dangerous people, people who. Uh, throw Molotov cocktails into buildings that are being destructed, uh, being constructed. Uh, I know, having read the, the news reports down there in, in Tennessee, that there have been several uh, arson attempts on this uh, this uh, Islamic site that's being built. Uh, these are people who fire bullets into uh, the windows of homes of Muslims. I mean, and, there, and sometimes even into the homes of non-Muslims. You know. Uh, there, there was a Syrian Christian church in Ohio that it had uh, graffiti sprayed upon it, even though they, they were Christians. Okay, so so you're dealing with a group of people here who who really are very irrational and and dangerous in that regard, and you know who believe you know they live by the sword. Okay, they, they've forgotten that old saying that Jesus said about those who live by the sword. Uh, you know, they're willing to to use violence even against children. Uh, against innocent people, let's keep in mind the cab driver in New York, the Pakistani cab driver, I believe he's Pakistani, uh, who had his throat slit by some uh, fr- some nice white uh, college student who asked him if he was a Muslim and then took a knife to his throat, father of four. Can you imagine that, folks, being the children and, and then getting a call, you know, the daddy is in the hospital and you go and you, you know, you go in to see him and he's had his throat cut. For no reason, he hasn't done all. He's all he's doing is is going out and trying to earn an honest living. Uh, that is what has become of America, folks. Let's uh, take a um, or uh, guys, let's take a uh, a quick uh, tour down. Actually, what took place this weekend, Keith? I had a discussion with you yesterday about some of the ugliness, uh, the threats that uh, that you had been subjected to, and uh, so let's let's just go down, take us down the road here. And describe the events of the weekend, and uh, and don't leave any of the salty things out because folks need to understand just how dangerous this entire development is uh, to our uh, national uh, peace and prosperity. Keith, take it away. Well, I mean, you know, you know the old saying: "If looks could kill." I'd uh, probably have been uh, buried ten minutes into this vigil that we were at. Um, you know, there were a few murmurs and. Uh, uh, Keith, can I, well, I can I interrupt? Yeah, may I interrupt? No. Uh, are you going to give an account of what you saw inside the uh, the Friday conference before we? Yeah, I get into the. You, you want me to do that first? Well, uh, what do you? I think it would be appropriate since that's chronological. On Friday, they had yeah. this, they had this big conference. We showed up there on Sunday morning. Right. Okay. Let me start from the beginning. Um, I got there. Uh, before Chuck. Chuck came in later on in the afternoon. I picked him up from the airport, so I was able to catch the the early morning festivities. Um, I thought I'd be there late um, because it said on their itinerary that it was going to begin at 8.30, but that was based on the um, event being held at the Hutton Hotel. 
uh, which the uh, the people who run that hotel prudently decided not to host the event after uh, they received from some phone calls, which I believe that they did receive, uh, saying that, hey, listen, we're going to show up and we're going to protest this thing if you throw it. And um, uh, that's pretty much what was told uh, from the Hutton Hotel. However, after that, uh, you know, many of these, uh, you know, anti-Islamic blogs like uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged and Front Page and all this said, uh, well, you know, they uh, uh, they received uh, death threats from Muslims. You know, my question is, well, what Muslims? You know, supply these Muslims. Tell me who these Muslims are. How do you know that these Muslims gave these violent threats, which they didn't do? Now, of course, they'd say, well, who else would it be? Well, I'll tell you who it would be. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, didn't start till 10 o'clock, and when I got there, people were hawking their wares. They had books on Sharia and the Koran. And Was uh, Terry Jones' book there? Oh, I don't know. Islam I is of the devil. Yeah, they had T-shirts that say, uh, I will not submit, and uh, U.S. Constitution or Sharia. And somebody handed me a no Sharia bumper sticker that had a red circle with a cross over a mosque, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I went in there, and the good news is that out of the 500 attendees, I saw fewer than probably a dozen people under the age of 30. Uh-huh. Uh, most of these people were probably about 50 years older or older, which indicates to me that, um, you know, this is kind of a dying breed of haters, uh-huh. you know. I don't uh-huh. see a lot of young people getting in on this. I didn't see any, hardly anybody under the age of 30. I saw maybe a couple kids that might have been under the age of 18, but they were dragged along by their parents. So that was good news. But anyway, it started out, as you probably would expect, with the national anthem. You know, it was played against the backdrop of an American flag with two big screens and this little woman dressed in a glittery flag shirt. You know, she's getting up there and singing, getting the crowd all riled up. And you know how they sing it, you know, so soulfully. Oh, say, can you see? You know, that kind of thing. And she's wearing this red, white, and blue thing. Uh, and, you know, and the church, too, i got to tell you, has red, white, and blue all over the place on the stage, which, you know, is trying to project this attitude that Christianity is synonymous with America, right. you know. Right. And um, anyway, the guy who gave the invocation, who, um, you know, got things rolling, was a man by the name of E.W. Jackson, who I've never heard of before, but apparently he's um, uh, running for uh, an office uh, in the Senate. I'm looking at this brochure. He's the founder of the Emergency Conservative Task Force mm-hmm. and STAND, Staying True to America's National Destiny, a national grassroots organization dedicated to restoring America's Judeo-Christian history, faith, <laughs> and values. Mm-hmm. But he's a black guy. Uh, he's a African-American in the same uh, mold as Herman Cain. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I guess that's the new thing that they're they're doing here is 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 putting black people as their front men, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because they can come out and and say things about blacks that white people can't say, you mm-hmm. know. They're just a bunch of shiftless layabouts and welfare recipients who give birth to drug dealers and prostitutes. Anyway, mm-hmm. so he gets up there and and um, you know I took some notes and he declared freedom is better than slavery and uh, America's culture is superior to all other cultures, you know, pushing out this idea of. Um, American exceptionalism. And, you know, when people say that, i got to ask, what is this so-called American culture that's so superior? Yeah, Lady I mean, Gaga. Look, Lady Gaga. Yeah, when I look around America, all I see is fast food joints, endless entertainment, uh, death, military worship, 
rampant decadence, overindulgence. I mean, am I missing something here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, this this whole thing about the American culture is superior. What what is our culture anymore? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it has nothing to do with Christianity, mm-hmm. um, especially not. <laughs> I just uh, it just amazes well, me. Well, as Chuck anyway, often the, says, who would Jesus bomb? Okay. Yeah. Right, that was one of our signs. But the guy who came up on the stage first was a guy named John Guandalo, who uh, gave a rather um, <laughs> lengthy dissertation on the Muslim Brotherhood. And he's the former CIA or, uh, FBI agent. He, former FBI agent, but right. and I'll give you a little idea of what his background is all about. But uh, apparently, according to Guandalo, the Muslim Brotherhood is now in control of the CIA, the FBI. <laughs> And the Department of Homeland Security, which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, we're constantly hearing about rabbis being harassed at TSA checkpoints. Yeah, wanting right. to know what's under their yarmulkes. We're always right. hearing about how Jews are being entrapped in these FBI stings, right. you know, supplied with weapons so they can attack mosques. Right. Oh, and let's not forget all those Jewish militants being targeted in CIA drone strikes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, but but you see, it's you know. It's a real convenient strategy for this Guandalo, or I can't even pronounce his name right, Guandalo, mm-hmm. uh, to say that the Obama administration is cozy with the Muslim Brotherhood, because it is true. They are. Yes. The Obama administration is cozy with the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and these naive people who hear this, they're now going to go to, they're going to go home and they're going to Google Obama and the Muslim Brotherhood and find all sorts of info to corroborate this claim, right? Mm-hmm. But see, this is a classic example of how this guy, um, tells 90% fact, but leaves out the 10% that puts the whole thing in context. Mm-hmm. You see, he's asserting that the Obama administration and all the agencies, you know, that comprise our national security apparatus is subservient to the Muslim Brotherhood. But in fact, it's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the Muslim Brotherhood is subservient to the White House. Sure. They're Absolutely. also subservient to the Mossad mm-hmm. and, of course, the Saudi royals, uh, the Saudi royals. Uh, who supply them with millions of dollars in revenue. And, um, uh, you know, and what is the brother, the Muslim Brotherhood? It's, it's nothing really more than a theater company. Mm-hmm. They're, they're paid actors mm-hmm. playing the villain to mm-hmm. make, to demonize Islam. Absolutely. That's what their yes. role is. Mm-hmm. And if you were to tell them, or pay them to, you know, scream death to Zionists while they're raping a five-year-old Muslim girl in front of a video camera, they'll do it. Right. Right. You know, if you tell them to go out and recruit a bunch of retarded Arabs that carry backpacks full of dynamite, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but uh, you know, it's the Muslim Brotherhood. It's, it's not a homegrown organization. Their funds and their ideologies they come uh, mainly from Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and uh, most of their members they live in luxury all around Europe, mainly in the UK. Mm-hmm. But um, they're used for Western political agendas. Always was, always will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so he's putting that out there um, that the that the Muslim Brotherhood is in control of of, of our national you know security infrastructure. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about this Gondolano fellow. Uh, he's actually uh, a uh, a man who was going to be fired from the FBI because he he's um, he's married, okay, and he was sleeping with a witness in this you know thing that in this uh, in this case that he was uh, he was working on, and they found while he was working for the FBI that he they found this this uh, list that he had of all these women, all these sexual conquests of all these women he slept with in. Um, 
in the FBI and in all of these other things. So, you know, this guy has absolutely no credibility whatsoever. And now he's found uh, a new career on the on the speaking circuit, uh, uh, you know, on the speaking circuit as a uh, screecher, uh, expert. as a screecher. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk about the Muslim Brotherhood um, and uh, how it's infiltrated the government. And they also he also said that uh, care, you know, uh, the. Uh, uh, um, you know, Council on American-Islamic Relations, yes. Right. He says that's a um, link to Hamas. And, uh, you know, he bases it. He says, well, you know, they they were uh, funneling um, money to Hamas, and the United States government refuses to prosecute them. So that's, you know, this is, this is proof positive that uh, CARE is, uh, you know, just another one of these protected organizations, Islamic organizations. But you see... What he doesn't tell you is that, yes, um, you know, the founding members uh, were, uh, were here in the United States. The founding members of CARE back in 1994, in they originally were um, uh, trying to uh, generate money for Hamas, but this was back in 94 before Hamas was even mm-hmm. called a terrorist organization, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 1997, I think, that they became a terrorist organization. Right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Officially, officially no speaking, officially speaking. Yeah, there's yeah. been no evidence, you know, there's been no evidence that they've, you know, given money to Hamas whatsoever, except um, uh, back in 2007 or 2008, if you remember the Holy Land Foundation, mm-hmm. they were indicted and convicted for um, supplying material support to Hamas, mm-hmm. and CARE had given them money. But, see, CARE didn't know that they were giving money to Hamas. I mean, they were one amongst, you know, three or four hundred other people mm-hmm. who were giving money to this Holy Land Foundation before they, you know, realized. I mean, they were, you know, they were presenting things under false pretexts. And even the United States government gave them a 501c3. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, that's their whole, that's their whole foundation for saying that Hamas, you know, is a, uh, that they're funneling, uh, that they're giving money to Hamas, and that it's a Hamas front organization. There's no evidence to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's enough on Guandalo. Um, do you want me to break yeah, here? Yeah, and let's... No, no. Well, since we're talking about what took place at the conference okay. itself, let's let's go ahead and continue on that. I think Chuck, uh, Chuck, yeah, uh, okay. No okay. No, I wasn't there. Uh, yeah, I would then, uh, I would comment that it's interesting that there were only 500 people at the conference when the church has 3,900 members. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, no doubt the pastors promoted uh, this to the membership of the church, Mm -hmm. and uh, probably, according to the original estimates, there were 300 members that were... were, that were early subscribers, so they probably weren't even from from the church. So, mm-hmm. and 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 Keith's comment about the youth not being there is very significant. I hope yes. people remember that mm-hmm. that the people that come to these things are uh, the 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 aging redneck ex hippie. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the fanatical, uh, the, the people, that, the, the middle-aged people that have taken over the Tea Party, mm-hmm. and uh, people like that are the ones who are showing up at these radical events mm-hmm. and uh, listening to it. And one other thing I would uh, would add that takes us a little bit back to the mosque, the uh, the director, one of the directors of the mosque, uh, who was a very, very dignified Ph.D., by the way, uh, was, was told us at the end of our discussion with Keith, Keith and I were both present, that 
that the, the mosque had officially requested tickets to go to the conference and that uh, they bought tickets. And later someone had carefully scrutinized all the tickets and found out that they didn't want to sell them to them, so they revoked their tickets, and they mm-hmm. weren't even allowed to attend this, pay to attend this conference in the church. Mm-hmm. Kind of, a, kind of interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all I had. Okay, Keith, go yeah. Ahead, well, the yeah. next, mm-hmm. the next guy up there was, uh, well, he he wasn't there in person, but they uh, they had a video of him, and it was up on both screens, and that's. Uh, uh, David Yerushalmi. Now that oh, sounds yeah, like yeah. an Asian name, but you yeah, probably yeah. know who he is. Yeah, yeah. He's a rabbi who um, is one of these guys who's uh, puts. To, you know, he's a lawyer, and he he's the one who drafts all this legislation mm-hmm. uh, that he gives to like state representatives to try to ban Sharia mm-hmm. in places like Oklahoma and, of course, in Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also filed lawsuits against financial institutions, and this is really key. This is the thing that everybody has to understand. Um, but let me first say that he's, you know, he's filed lawsuits against financial institutions that are Sharia compliant. And when you say that, you know, you put that in parentheses, Sharia compliant, people just gasp, oh, my God, you know, it's going to be a take-up. All that means is it's compatible with Sharia. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what this whole Sharia thing is all about. Now, see, they're trying to fearmonger to these people and, and make them think that Alibaba is going to become, you know, is going to come <laughs> marching down their street on a camel, waving a big curved sword and slashing their heads off. When, when the true threat, the true threat to these people is that it will introduce a new uh, alternative mm-hmm. kind of banking system exactly. that opposes the Jewish system of usury. Exactly. And let's 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 get this straight once and for all. The financial problems we have right now, we don't have to point to uh, Jewish names on Wall Street or who's controlling the Federal Reserve. The fact of the matter is, is the reason that we're in the financial mess we're in right now. The reason we have two hundred and eleven trillion dollars in debt is because of this Jewish system of usury. Exactly. And they do not want that replaced. Mm-hmm. They do not want a Sharia system of banking where uh, you know you give a loan out and you have a, a fixed fee that never increases whatsoever. That's their biggest fear. But, of course, they downplay that and say that that's just, you know, one aspect. But what Yerushalmi was urging people to do is to um, join in on class action suits Mm -hmm. against the government, against financial institutions, against anybody. He calls it lawfare, Mm -hmm. like warfare, Mm -hmm. except lawfare, Mm -hmm. um, to take these things down to, to, you know, to, to, to make sure that that never gets... Um, you know, that, that there's never any kind of Sharia-compliant banking system introduced in their communities. Mm-hmm. So um, that was the big thing with him. Uh, the, the Did he like the banking system? He liked the banking system the way it is, Keith. Did he say that? <laughs> oh, he he didn't say anything about that. He just said okay. that. Uh, yeah, he just he said this is one way of. Yeah, it, you know, he he posed it kind of like, well, you know, the financial parts just one way we can attack them but that's really the essence of what they're afraid of mm-hmm. is the Sharia system of, of, of finance that's what they're really afraid of mm-hmm. um, the next uh, person to come up uh, was a little old lady that just got everybody's hearts just melting <laughs> and that is this little tiny 
Arab woman, uh, Wafa Sultan. Mm -hmm. And this bitch, I'm sorry, Chuck and the rest of you people out there, is one of the biggest scumbag liars mm -hmm. on the face of the planet. Yes. And she wrote this book called The God Who Hates. And her big uh, thing is to expose the um, mistreatment and oppression of women in Islamic societies. But the thing is, is she comes from Syria, mm -hmm. right? She grew up <laughs> in a society that was anti-Islamic, mm -hmm. you know, her whole life, anti-Islamic. Uh, she's a big liar. She's been exposed several times for, uh, for lies. Uh, she said, for instance, that while she was going through um, uh, school to get her medical degree, that one of her professors was assassinated right in front of her eyes. And this never occurred, never occurred on campus. Mm -hmm. There was an assassination of a professor. It happened off campus, but she had, she was not there. It was impossible for her to have witnessed such a thing. Um, but this was one of her lies. And uh, she came to the United States, um, her and her husband. She, they moved to the United States. She's an atheist. She's not a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she she doesn't have any political she didn't have any political aspirations until she came to the United States and uh, she came with her husband uh, on a tourist visa she sent her visa back to her sister who looks a lot like her and they she brought over her two sister uh, her her two children um, booked a flight to Mexico but there was a layover in the United States and she jumped off that and uh, brought the two kids mm -hmm. she <laughs> she got a um, she got a, a Mexican lady who had a um, uh, who had you know this permanent residency status uh, who, who, who told her how she can get amnesty for for farm workers. So her husband said that he worked as a farmer for four years, and that was the application went through, and they got uh, their green cards that way. Mm -hmm. But um, here in the United States, she worked at a pizza place, even though she's a doctor. She worked at a pizza place. They were living hand to mouth, and. Um, then uh, she got an appearance on Al Jazeera, that great bastion of truth for the mm -hmm. Islamic people. Mm -hmm. She got uh, an appearance and started talking about Islam and uh, went in a debate with another guy who was, you know, more along the lines of how we think. Um, that was picked up by memory. If people know what that is, that's mm -hmm. uh, Middle East Media uh, Research Middle Institute, right? Which was founded by the Mossad, by yes. you know, an ex-member of the Mossad, mm -hmm. and they cut up the whole interview and just made it look like and made her a star. Mm -hmm. And um, not long after that, she became a you know a spokesperson for the evils of uh, you know Islam uh, against women. And, uh, you know, she's got two houses now. She's got a couple smog check stations that her and her husband own in California. I don't know where this money comes from. Gee whiz. Mm -hmm. You know, but she's, you know, promoted heavily. And uh, this is the thing. You know, people really should ask her, you know, if she was made to suffer for 30 years under Islamic Sharia, how could she, as a woman, have finished her medical degree sure. at a university? Sure. You know? And, and how, you know, under a Islamic Sharia state, it horrid as she's described it, how could she have had her education paid for free? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it just, it's just completely outrageous. But anyway, she shows this picture of, you know, to get these people's, of, um, you know, emotions stirring, like, you want your children to be like this? It was a picture of uh, a group of maybe 50 to 100 white kids in Europe who were in a mosque, sit, um, you know, on their knees, and posing for the camera. 
And she was saying, these kids, look, do you want your children to be like... And if you look at the picture, it's so innocuous. Kids have smiles on their faces Mm -hmm. and everything. It's just Mm -hmm. basically like, you know, they went on a field trip to a mosque. Mm -hmm. You know, big deal. Mm -hmm. But she's using all these emotional hot buttons and just pushing it out there and pushing it out there, getting people to respond. And um, you see, this is the crazy thing, too. Um, So many times did they say things like, you know, you people are the warriors. You've got to fight. You you know, you've got to, these enemies are here. And um, one guy, his name is David French. He's a senior counsel at the American Center for Law and Justice. He said, um, he said, you know, they, the, um, You'll be told that uh, that the Muslims thrive on being martyrs, but that's not true. Uh, they, um, you know, when they have defeats, uh, they're fractionalized and stuff like that. He says, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they don't want. You know, as far as I'm concerned, we can make as many casualties as we want. I don't think we've made enough casualties, or we, I don't think we've made enough martyrs out of them. And that just got a standing ovation. These people were just riled up, wanting to kill Muslims. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the, the weird thing, the contrast of this, is that when Chuck and I went out there on Sunday morning, we're standing out there, and we're looking like the enemy, but none of these strong warriors even came up to talk to us. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't even give us eye contact. So, so much for that, you know, that fighting spirit they have. It's just all a bunch of fluff and bluster as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, let's see. What, oh, Steve Gill, he was a, he's a conservative talk show host in uh, Nashville, and he got up there and he said the same, you know, I mean, he said the thing that you hear a million times that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Muslims or Ahmadinejad said that he wants to wipe Israel mm-hmm. off the face of the map, mm-hmm. which is not what Ahmadinejad said. Mm-hmm. He says that this regime in Jerusalem uh, must be removed from the annals of time or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he says, we can't let them have a nuclear weapon or it'll be another Holocaust. Six mm-hmm. million more Jews will die and all this stuff. <laughs> So, and um, but I, I could only stay for for you know for the um, until it until it uh, until it broke for lunch. But the, the the crazy thing is is I didn't hear I heard a lot about uh, Jews and uh, Judeo Christianity, but I never heard you know anything about Christ <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just more about Jews and Judaism. I mean, there was a rabbi there, Jonathan House, and he's the one who introduced. Uh, Wufa Sultan, mm-hmm. and said that his daughter considers her her hero, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. he gave a little teary-eyed introduction to her. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was no Christianity there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much uh, what happened up to the time I had to leave. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Keith. Uh, did you yeah. note any... Uh, what kind of police protection was there? Did you sense any Yeah, there kind were a couple of... cops. Okay, what about there, I mean, inside... What about inside the thing itself? Did you sense any uh, type of foreign security services, uh, i.e. Mossad or anything like that, at this thing? Well, there were a couple big guys that looked special forces or SEALs. You know, they looked kind of made up. I mean, I've seen these guys before when they when they wear plain clothes. I mean, you can smell them a mile away. Yeah. You know, and they were kind of walking around looking at things and then consulting with you know, the church staff and some other, the you know, event sponsors and things like that. So you knew, but they were they were Caucasian, and there were a couple armed uh, security guards there, but uh, I really couldn't say. That would be a 
speculation if there was any kind of, you know, okay. Mossad or foreign influence oh. there. Okay. Go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead. Something I might uh, might add, uh, two of the, the two star performers uh, in the program did not show up. They were billed to be um, Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer. Mm, okay. We're both uh, profoundly recognized. Uh, Geller, of course, has uh, been, she, she was uh, mentioned numerous times in uh, the, uh, the uh, memoirs of uh, uh, Anders Breddick. Yes. The man who killed all these children in yeah. Norway. Mm -hmm. And Spencer, I believe, also was mentioned in it. But Pam Geller, yes. she has been quoted everywhere and is very, very much in, in that. He, uh, and, and Spencer also quoted, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, Brevik also quoted, uh, uh, I think Robert Spencer and, uh, and, and Gert Wilder. And that's all being investigated now by the Norwegian police. They're mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out what these connections are, mm -hmm. and and these these radical groups that are being sent around, uh, they have records a mile long. Mm -hmm. They're they're really outrageous, and and it's it's uh, it's not a, a it, 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 as much promotion as this program had. This this program had a lot of promotion in advance. Uh, there, there's a lot put into pumping. Uh, these kind of programs, uh, and when it was at the Hutton Hotel, it was getting rave reviews. But yet, it, yet it only had 300 advanced registrations. And you get into the church, and it ends up with a total of 500. And probably a good number of those were hustled in there by the pastor from his own church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and it was so, Veterans Day too. Yeah, and they put yeah, it was a, even a holiday. So they put an enormous amount of effort into getting. A crowd for these people here, and then and then you have these powerful people being shipped in here from all over to talk to uh, three four hundred people. Uh, it's it's really kind of amazing how little uh, how little they manage to get, how much they have to work at getting mm -hmm. uh, this kind of a program mm -hmm. sold to people. Mm -hmm. uh, that that would be something I would observe. That I was surprised when Keith told me about this that mm -hmm. uh, that there were only four or five hundred people at present. Okay, so let's, uh, I, I think that was confirmed by the, one of the local papers as well. So let's move forward, I guess, to Sunday when you guys were out on the uh, sidewalk with your signs. I believe that was Sunday, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's move on to that and let's talk about you know the the real face here of of ugliness uh, that uh, that that we would characterize as the 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 anti-Islamic pro-Zionist movement in this country. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Chuck, if you would, we'll give Keith a, a break, uh, on, okay. give his lungs a break, and uh, why don't you just paint a picture for us here of what you guys experienced. Well, this is a, this is a, a wonderful, beautiful-looking church. It's on a lovely hill, you know, and with great landscaping, and it's huge. It's a coliseum size. It holds 3,700 people, 3,900 people, or 4,000. They only hold one service because this pastor has another church that he probably runs off to and, and does a late service there. Probably he does an evening service or something like that. That's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So this guy has built himself an empire of these mega churches. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you couldn't imagine a more beautiful setting and a, and, a, and a lovelier building, you know, and uh, and, and uh, the people that stream in there uh, for 
an hour and a half uh, getting ready for the service, and then they pour out and they have to have uh, they have to have control, police control to get the uh, crowds out onto the streets. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you have a lot of people there, as compared to the little meeting that uh, they had on Friday that that uh, that the Keith has described. Uh, the the, the turnout on Sunday was really quite enormous, and a lot of beautiful cars and people that obviously have a lot of money look like they have a lot of money. And then the ordinary, so it's a, it's an ordinary mix that you find in every big mega church where you have a extremely charismatic pastor conducting a Judeo Christian service. Mm -hmm. We've seen them a dozen times, a hundred times. We've done sixty of these vigils over going all the way back to two hundred three. And we've been to a few little churches, but usually great big churches like this, and they all pretty much look alike, and they all pretty much act alike. Um, and we go there with a message, and our message is something super simple that they cannot, uh, they can't miss. Uh, we are not there to picket. A picket is where you have a mass of people, and they're there to protest something. And uh, you try to outnumber the people that are on the other side of the line, and by strength you prove to everybody that you're more powerful than they are, and somehow they have to yield to your thoughts. And when you look at a picket of uh, that's going on on Wall Street today, these things have been taken over now by the rowdies, but you can't look at the picket and get any kind of a message. Mm -hmm. You look at it and you say, wonder what that's all about. Maybe you pick out some sign that appeals to you that's, that's been made in 15 minutes on a, on a piece of cardboard that says something like uh, end the Federal Reserve or something like that, you think, well, maybe that's the purpose of this picket. But uh, we don't do that. We basically carry a specific message, one message, and we basically, they won't let us in to give that message to people, and so uh, so they're, you know, fiercely competitive, and the people inside the building are always invariably quite angry what we're there. They don't like anybody uh, entering their terrain with their, their beautiful facility and putting on a message that they don't want people to hear. Mm -hmm. And uh, our message is, of course, got to be very simple and Christian because supposedly these people all think they're Christians and they all think that if we said something unchristian that, that they, we would fit right into the mold of what they expect. Mm -hmm. So... I dress up in a shirt and tie, and I try to look as good as the pastor, which would be tough mm -hmm. in this church, because this pastor wears $1,000, $2,000 suits. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, the message that we portray are things like, blessed are the peacemakers, or choose life, mm -hmm. not war. Mm -hmm. uh, that that statement is very, very important and it's, uh, to, to evangelicals, because... Mm -hmm. The evangelical church thinks that they're pro-life, mm -hmm. that they pride themselves at that. This church probably denounces abortionists and shrieks about the killing of unborn children. So we say choose uh, choose life and then not war, and, and we hope that that will register on people and wanting war with Iran and wanting to save the lives of unborn children is something that doesn't quite mesh there. Mm -hmm. uh, and blessed are the peacemakers, of course, Jesus' famous statement, four words, uh, that, uh, that are maybe Jesus' most famous words, and yet they're not practicing them inside the church. We want people to either say, yeah, I agree with that, or uh, wait a minute, these guys are subversives. So 
And then, of course, who would Jesus bomb? Mm-hmm. It's a classic rhetorical question. And, and if you ask a 10-year-old child coming in, it might take them a, a few seconds to think about it. But eventually, every 10-year-old we've ever been able to ask has always come up with the right answer. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet the people in that church, uh, some of them are absolutely committed to the bombing of Iran. Mm-hmm. So... These are the, our, this is our purpose there is not to pick at the church and try to make everybody mad. Our purpose is there to separate the people that think blessed are the peacemakers really is what the church is supposed to be all about and those people who think bombing Iran is what the church is all about. We try to make them think about which side they're on. So that's our message uh, in doing this and it always has been. We've always reduced our message down to four words on a big piece of Sign board that nobody can overlook, and it's real, real professional, and uh, that they they can't help but read it, even if they have to drive by you. Mm-hmm. So that's what Keith and I were doing. I was delivering a single message to the people, and had we had uh, four people, there were two entrances to the church. So if we'd have had four people, we would have we would have had more people that would have have received the message. And, but we think everybody got, sort of gets the message because it becomes a big talk inside of what are these what are these people doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as far as Keith and I probably viewed things a little differently, see things differently, look for different things, but we saw a lot of people that would look at our message and they give us a thumbs up. Lovely. A lot of people would wave. Yeah, a lot there of people, were. Well, sure. Sure, lots and lots. Ten, we'd have five or ten thumbs ups for every... Every uh, for every glow or scowl or uh, or, or or shout or uh, the, the most common way of letting you know that you really they really don't like you is they just don't look at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, uh, you know what I saw. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let Keith take it from there because uh, because you know he has his own. It's, it's new to him. To me, I've seen it set uh, fifty times, and it's, it was kind of typical. I didn't see. It, it being a lot worse than the churches that we see here, uh, the the sad part about this particular church is that the people don't have to walk by you, so you don't have a chance to engage them. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of just trying to deliver your message in the window of their car as they go by. But we've we've been been to lots of churches like that because the mega churches try to create an empire where they basically control the parking and everything and. People come in and they they're on their on their ground. Uh, we had of course police control uh, that we had well in advance, and we'd had discussions and with the police because uh, it is frightening to go there not knowing what kind of a nut is going to be there from the Friday program. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we made a special point of of having the police around all the time, and we wanted the church to know the police were around all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my opening. Okay. Shot on the thing, and I'll, I'll turn it back. Go back to okay. what he thought. Well, uh, first of all, um, I, I want to give a little background on this pastor who runs this church. His name is Maury Davis, and he's got a very sordid past. When he was 18 years old, uh, he was convicted of killing a 54-year-old woman with a Bowie knife. And he didn't just stab her. He actually cut almost her head clean off of her neck mm-hmm. with this Boeing knife. And he, uh, you know, if you look at the background of this guy, he didn't come from an abuse, an abusive home. He actually came from 
a Christian home, mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, a well-to-do Christian home. So there is no reason for this guy to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, he claims that he was on drugs, but the police report uh, claims that he had no drugs in his system. There were no drugs found at his house. He's just a loose cannon. This guy's just a nut. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he is one of these stories that you hear so many times of, uh, you know, jailhouse conversions. You know, they get into into jail and, um, you know, they clean up their act then. Uh, but my question is this. Can you imagine, uh, to use a Mark Glennism, <laughs> can you imagine? No, can you just the, imagine? Yeah, can you imagine if the imam of the biggest mosque in Tennessee had mm-hmm. previously been con- convicted of cutting someone's head off. Well, we hear this all the time, that sure. Muslims do that. Oh, yeah. They cut heads off. Isn't this kind of ironic that we find the Christian pastor of this church to have this kind of background? And uh, he claims that he made overtures to the family, the surviving members of his family, that, uh, you know, you know, can I meet with you? And, you know, can we, can we kind of... Uh, see if we could bury the hatchet. Uh, no pun intended. Bury the hatchet, so to speak. And he says, according to him, is that the family says, "Well, no, it's just nice to know that you turned your life around and doing something." That's not the truth, because just a couple years ago, this Ron Lyles, who is the uh, surviving the son of this woman, says that he's a liar. He's never done such a thing. Mm-hmm. So he's an unrepentant murderer, as far as I'm concerned. And. Uh, uh, Chuck, actually, I'm going to turn this over to you. Tell me, uh, he actually came out, didn't he? And uh, yeah. met with you. So he tell, tell Mark what he said. <laughs> well, I want to add to this that uh, uh, this jailhouse conversion uh, that he that he that he did. This is not the typical case where the black guy uh, killed somebody in a barroom fight. He gets thrown into jail. Uh, he goes to uh, uh, two or three church sessions in jail or in prison every week, and after five or ten years, he decides he's uh, going to accept Christianity or Islam or whatever, whoever happens to con- Mormonism or whoever converts him, because the jails are full of people trying to convert uh, inmates. It's very popular to convert inmates. Mm-hmm. In the case of uh, uh, Pastor Davies, uh, Davis, uh, he his conversion was almost instant. He got a, he got a lawyer uh, somehow. Uh, to defend him when he was charged with murder. And uh, that lawyer was a recent convert to, convert to Christianity who had a, a, a arm-waving experience. And uh, coincidentally then, Pastor Davis, at that time uh, a graduate of a military school, where he graduated, just graduated from high school, a very prominent New Mexico military school, um, at that time uh, Davis then... Uh, suddenly had a jailhouse conversion, and then when he and his new lawyer went into the trial, the district attorney was insisting on a death penalty mm-hmm. because of the heinous nature of this absolutely un- unwarranted crime that had no, there was no excuse for it. It was a crime of total violence. The woman had apparently, in a in a sort of a business. Uh, situation had kicked over a paint can and spilled paint on this guy's boots. That was what triggered him to slaughter her on the floor of of, uh, of, of the house. Anyway, um, so he he actually had his conversion before he ever went to trial, and uh, that was what they used to convince this tennis or this Texas jury 
that it had been Satan himself who had done the killing, and this guy had been possessed. They they used the Satan possessed rather than insanity. the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil did it, uh, and 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 so this guy got off with a light sentence, and then he got lucky, and uh, in a in a some sort of a legislative act, they dumped a bunch of people out of this overcrowded prison, and he was one of them. So he served eight and a half years for for this crime. Eight and uh, a half years, man. Eight and a half total years for uh, for uh, for killing this woman, uh, and that shows you that he had obviously a lot of persuasive ability and charm and, mm-hmm. and and that he was not a dumb guy that he was very clever he he somehow worked his way through the system and got out of this thing with nothing virtually nothing mm-hmm. even anders brevik in norway is going to get a minimum of 20 years mm-hmm. uh, so uh, we we had written to to Maury davis and if people go to our website the letter that we wrote to him mm-hmm. uh questions him about uh, whether he's repentant or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it goes into Jesus' words about repentance and about, and it asks him the question of how you can be sponsoring uh, programs that where they're, where they're uh, basically calling for war mm-hmm. uh, against, uh, against Iran and probably against any other Islamic country, mm-hmm. for that matter. Any, mm-hmm. any war would be acceptable, of course. And, and we ask, if, could you possibly be repentant? You say constantly, he uses this murder trial as part of his resume, mm-hmm. but then he talks about how he has been saved and how Jesus has, has forgiven him, and he can everyone, anyone can be forgiven. And so he actually uses this to build his church. Jesus forgave me, look what, look what how he's blessing me now. And uh, so, so we asked him a lot of questions about that, and I won't go into our letter, but our letter was... Uh, the subject of uh, of an article that was written by the local newspaper about this, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Tennessean. Now that's the big time newspaper, the Zero the Daily. And if you go to our website, our, our, the article the Tennessean wrote about it uh, is taken right from my letter to the pastor, uh, in which we ask him these things. We point out that that Jesus, when he forgave the woman and uh, the woman uh, who was the prostitute in the temple. Uh, he told her to stop sinning. Mm-hmm. His forgiveness was based upon the presumption that she was uh, repentant and that she wouldn't go back to prostitution. He didn't say, go out and sin more. Mm-hmm. He said, no, he said, go and sin no more. And the presumption, I think, that everyone has always taken from this is Jesus expect, expected the woman to uh, stand by her, her repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we asked the pastor that question, are you really repentant? Uh, without going into the letter, it's a long letter, but a very good letter, and it's it, we use something like it every time we go to the church. So part of our tactic is to challenge the pastor before we ever get there and shoot an incredible shot across his bow, whatever we can do, that, that's going to absolutely make him really nervous about his congregation meeting us. Mm-hmm. You want him to think the last, and then we then we hurry out and get police protection so that in case he decides to hire some thugs to come mm-hmm. out and chase us off, that we have someone there to make sure that we we have firm ground. We even get plat maps of these churches, which we have the deed to his church. We went and got it mm-hmm. from the public works people. We went to the public works people. We talked to them in advance, and we said, we've got to know where the right-of-ways are. And we said, this guy is... Uh, a renowned guy, and, and we, we, in order to be safe, you're going to have to protect us. You're going to have to 
you're going to have to come up with the public right-of-ways and give them to me. And, and they did. They told me exactly where they were. So we went into this thing knowing exactly what our legal rights were, and then with with the, the police being there to protect us, which we had numerous talks with the police, including about an hour before we got there. we had a, I had a talk with... Uh, with a police patrolman about uh, assuring us where we could where we could be, so I wanted to say we we do take some precautions to protect ourselves from people like Maury Davis, but I don't take the position that he's a worse criminal than the other criminals in other churches all over the country we've been to sure. who built mega churches by telling people lies. Mm-hmm. I I believe he is equal in, in, in his. Uh, equal in his uh, willingness to commit other people's bodies mm-hmm. to warring based upon his his philosophy. Mm-hmm. They all are calling for war, whether they've killed some woman in advance uh, 30 years before or not. The pastors are doing this when they when they uh, when they hold these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's kind of the background of it. And what did you want me to talk about? What Maury Davis looks like? Know what, yeah, Maury Davis. G- g- well, tell about Keith the, saw when Maury Davis came out. So Keith saw him too. Keith, would you, would you describe him? He had a young uh, other. Uh, okay, this guy. If you Mark, if you're near a computer or anybody who's listening, near a computer, punch the name Maury Davis. It's spelled M A U R Y, and then D A V I S. He's the spitting image of Netanyahu. If you look at this guy, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he looks like a cross oh, between good, Netanyahu good and Abe. Good God, Fox. you've got to be kidding! I mean, he looks—he uh, to me, I mean, he strikes me as that. Yeah, he awesome. does. No, for sure. Did you see him? Well, yeah, I'm looking I, at him I, right I now. He looks—he looks like a, a spitting image of Netanyahu. <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice that, but I did notice that he had a suit on. I love to have his suit. It was a pin yeah, that is a nice one. Gorgeous. Yeah, that is a nice yeah. one. Yeah, I mean he's he's dressed in a in a two thousand dollar tailored suit. Mm-hmm. Now, and plus, let me tell you, this guy he has a he lives in a gated community with a million dollar home. I mean, what did uh, what does what does the Bible say about that uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven? Exactly. I mean this. And plus, if I, if I had been responsible for such a heinous crime, I wouldn't stop repenting. If I was a Christian, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. Uh, mm-hmm. He shouldn't be living yeah. in a million dollar home. He shouldn't be wearing. Yeah, but he's been, he's been forgiven, and God has rewarded him with wealth, and that's yeah. that's it's one the of the prosperity he has been forgiven. Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he probably probably skews that just a little. Okay, bit. so tell him tell him what happened when he came out. Well, of course, uh, invariably they think they can talk you out of this, and uh, and somehow they they hope to do that, and so. And, and invariably, these pastors uh, pretend they never received my letter, so they have no idea why we're there. Mm-hmm. We're a bolt from the blue to them. Mm-hmm. And usually we send our letter to them certified mail. Mm-hmm. But with this, this, this program was put on with four or five days' notice, so we didn't have time to even send him a certified letter. So what we did is we sent, emailed the letter to him. We emailed it to all 18 or 20 members of his congregation, knowing that he would not be able to deny to them that he got the letter because they got it, they received it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, he did pretend that he didn't know what we were there for. He came out and asked me, why are you here? And uh, and I simply gave him the same message I give to everybody else. I, I happen to have this sign, that's a great big sign, it says, uh, um, who would Jesus bomb? And I said, 
uh, you should already know. Here is why we're here. All you've got to do is tell me what this sign means, and then you'll know why we're here. And he just stared at it, and then he asked me the question again, well, why are you here? So I asked him the same. I repeated the same thing over to him. I asked him two or three times what the sign meant to him. And he ended up saying, I, I guess I don't know. In other words, I guess they don't know who Jesus would bomb. Mm -hmm. As though, now any 10-year-old kid will say, well, Jesus wouldn't bomb people, he doesn't kill people. Mm -hmm. But the pastor wasn't about to admit that, so he said he guessed he didn't know. Uh, in the, we had a, a little discussion uh, about, uh, the, the, he, 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 he essentially, the one thing he did say is he said, well, Jesus would say that you belong inside in fellowship with your fellow Christians. And I said, well, we can't have fellowship inside because you don't teach Christianity in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so then he he went on to uh, went on to um, argue with me a little bit, and um, in the end uh, he he tried to tell me that he'd been to North Africa and he knew about Muslims and he knew about Sharia law. Oh, I, I did I did say that. They are, I did say as my statement to him, I made it very clear that, that the reason we could not come in is he's advocating war against Iran and that uh, Jesus would not stand for war in Iran. And that's what the sign means. Mm -hmm. And so, in case you haven't figured it out, that's, that is what the sign means, and you're teaching that. And so he then lied to me. He said that, well, he, the conference was only only rented to the conference sponsor and uh, they just used his hall he wasn't responsible for what they said in the conference uh, the things that the teachers just told us about and I and I challenged him and I said now I know better because your name is on the sponsors list you mm -hmm. were a sponsor of the conference mm -hmm. from the very very beginning mm -hmm. well it, then he did he did not deny that he just went on to something else what generally has taken place in these churches is these pastors become sort of unrepentant liars. They lie all the time about what Scripture means. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's, that's the thing they have to lie about, is what does Scripture mean? What does Jesus say? You can't admit that Jesus wouldn't bomb anybody. You can't really admit that Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers, mm -hmm. because that implies that he's not a war maker. Mm -hmm. And then how can Maury Davis be a war maker if Jesus is really a peacemaker? He can't. Mm -hmm. So they've got to find a way to lie about Scripture. So telling these little lies, which are, which are, are direct, bald-faced lies, such as I was, I was not responsible for the conference. I only rented them my hall. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's a clear-cut, absolute lie. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is common to these guys. They, in their $1,500 or $2,000 pinstripe suit that you can't tell whether it's silk or wool, it's so beautiful, mm -hmm. uh, they're just used to doing that. And in the end, he got mad at me and called me an idiot and socked off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I saw the spark in his eyes as I looked at him. Keith was across the road maybe 60 feet away, so I don't know if Keith, how much of this Keith could actually hear. But, but I saw the spark in his eye that that woman must have seen when he cut her throat. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't say, did you bring your Bowie knife? But <laughs> that would have been yeah. oh, the, the, the real question. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> appropriate. And, and, well, and after by the way, when you get into these situations, there are a hundred things you wish you would have said afterwards, <laughs> and, and, and you didn't. 
But it was a unique experience to have this guy come out, and I could not help getting my own hackle up just a little bit because when I looked in his eyes and he came out to talk to me, I knew I was talking to a guy who killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and in addition to his planning, to is part of the planning for the war in, in, upon Iran. And by the way, if if I differ from anything anything anybody said here, I want to make it clear that I really believe this. I believe the central purpose right now of the promotion of all these people going around to these churches at tremendous expense, big money-losing propositions mm-hmm. going to, mm-hmm. to these meetings. These are huge over, overhead items. They have a dozen paid speakers who are probably making a lot of money. That little woman that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Keith described, God knows how much income she requires to put on her story. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with other people that are, that are going around to churches uh, and, and are making tours basically sponsored by the Israeli government, uh, like Dr. Jehudi Jasser, mm-hmm. who's able to give up his medical practice to go out and do this. And mm-hmm. people like Waleed Shubat, who has accumulated so much money, it's become an IRS problem for him. Mm-hmm. Going around and speaking, sponsored by people like this to actually speak to Homeland Security and tell Homeland Security why they need to, uh, why they need to watch every Muslim day and night. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, then these guys go around with their talk and tell us that Homeland Security is controlled by the Muslims. Well, right, right. Uh, it's really funny. But they are so there's so much of this going on that people are are really trampling each other. But, uh, but Maury Davis did the predictable thing. What I didn't really expect him to do was I didn't think he'd get mad. I didn't think he'd blow his cool and spark and and call me a name and and look really angry in front of his. Uh, subordinate, little bald-headed guy, uh, youngest guy on his staff, I think. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Perry or something like that. But he did. He actually uh, he actually showed that angry spark. I don't know if Keith could sense it or not. Well, yeah, he, well, he, you know, when he was done with you, he, he kind of made his way towards me. And uh, I'm a little bigger, <laughs> maybe a little more intimidating. Um, he came his way toward me, and he says, is this what you want to do with the rest of your life? And um, instead of just standing there still, I took like a couple steps toward him, and he just like moved off <laughs> and uh, went into another direction. And I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. So uh, I, I don't know if he just decided he didn't want to deal with me or, or what. But I think, um, he, I think he made us both mad, didn't he, Keith? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. But the thing is, is uh, I want to say about this, you know, I made a couple um, – uh, radio announcements uh, asking for support, saying, hey, listen, you know, folks, it's going to be me and Chuck so far, and we'd really like to have you guys out there. And um, nobody showed up, nobody responded whatsoever, and that kind of disappointed me at first. But then I thought to myself, you know, there is strength in smaller numbers, especially in what we're doing like this, because it really kind of gets them to thinking, well, you know, we hear this threat about, you know, all the progressives and the Obama administration and the Muslims who are against us and hate us and, you know, are looking for any opportunity to be aggressive with us. And then they see just two old men standing out there mm-hmm. holding signs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to make them think, where is the threat? 
Mm-hmm. What war is the threat? I mean, because this is, this is the best. I mean, sure, they can laugh at us and say, oh, this is the best you can do. But they've also got to think, there really is no threat out there. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, we, they, we couldn't even rally uh, enough support for people to hold signs. It's kind of disgusting if you really want my opinion on it. But, um, you know, I think that um, just he and I kind of had an impact like that. And as far as uh, responses I got, um, you know, I look, <laughs> uh, you know, I was just a clean cut Caucasian guy, uh, you know, five foot ten standing out there and I got a lot of like odd looks like you just don't seem like the type that would be doing something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't give me any eye contact whatsoever, but I did get some people who kind of gave me the upward nod, you know, instead of the downward nod, the upward nod, kind of like, you know, hey, punk, you know, which, you know, you, you know, that kind of thing. But of course, <laughs> nobody stopped to talk to us to challenge our position. Mm-hmm. And while people were filing out of their cars, I held the most, um, the most uh, provocative sign of all, which was no more wars for Israel. And that kind of, I got uh, a couple middle fingers and uh, and a, a lot Christian of church. Yeah, at a Christian church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. And, uh, no, listen, and you, you're making it up, Keith. You're, you're, oh, Christians no, I, would I, never... i got to defend, I gotta defend please, Keith, I didn't, uh, you know, happen to witness this particular gesture, but I've done this enough no. to know that if you hold a sign, it's at least any suggestion of all that makes any suggestion that Israel is involved, that uh-huh. you think Israel or, or anything supporting Palestinians. Uh, and, and we... we, we kind of do that just to see what the consensus is, uh, that you will get the, then that response. As soon as they recognize that you are sort of, now those, those people that probably did that may have been the ones who uh, went to the conference. <laughs> right, plus it, it, I guess the only threat of violence was one guy, um, burly looking guy, uh, stuck his head out the window and he says, I better not see you here next week. So uh, that's kind of like a bail. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> now, come on, guys. I mean, I mean, I mean, advocating murdering millions of people is one thing, but, but I just have a hard time believing that, th- that these good Christians uh, would, would actually give the finger. I mean, come on now. Come on. Hey, now, uh, I'm well, kidding. I uh, guys, I'm, I'm obviously kidding here. Okay. I mean, let's, let's well, I think, forget, I think let's if not I was... Forget, let's not forget that 80% of the people in that church are just looking for a place to go to church, to take their kids, to have the kids taken care of. Uh, that they are ordinary American people. They happen to live in the South where there's a lot of this influence, but most of the churches they could pick to go to would, would teach pretty much the same theology. Mm-hmm. This guy is smooth and polished. He can make it fun to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people are no different from the people that go to church in your town. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, uh, but, but now, you, you know, if you're in, if you're in, uh, New York State, there's more Catholic churches and less Protestant churches. There's, uh, there, there's less evangelical churches, but these churches are everywhere, and every place I've seen them, Keith, I've never seen them any different. They are the same in right. Orange County. Yeah, they are the same in, in areas that are gated communities all around. Uh, they, they have the, they, they're, the teachings are the same. The results are the same. You have a few, uh, fanatical rednecks, uh, well, I shouldn't, I don't know that they're rednecks, I shouldn't characterize them, but there are a few of those guys that will drive the pickup truck, stick their head out, and, and make a gesture that you haven't seen for a while yeah. uh, in your face. And there, will, and there are also some that will, will smile and wave. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. most of them are just trying to figure out what it's all about, mm-hmm. and they're confused. They really are confused people. And, and, the and church, I do want to say one thing about that. confused people. I do want to say one thing about that. I know when I started the program, I said that that Tennessee uh, seems to be a hotbed of Islamophobia, and and I was kind of uh, made disparaging marks on the uh, Tennessean people. But you know what? I'm not going to back down from that. Um, you know, these people, most of the radio stations are either Christian Zionist radio stations or country music stations, and both push militarism, both push. Um, uh, you know this 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 war theology, and that it's us versus them. So there is a disproportionate number of people in the South who do support these wars and um, are predominantly Christian Zionists, especially among the white community. And uh, I've noticed a difference because I come from the West Coast, which is you know a lot more liberal. You 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 won't see you know a lot of people. Uh, listening to country music there, they've got their own thing going. But there there really is, I really do feel uh, a lot of hatred towards Muslims here disproportionately than other places in the country. Mm-hmm. And Keith Bright, um, however, uh, the, uh, the idea of the greedy pastor who has built an empire mm-hmm. and, is, and is running it based on Christian Zionism, is, is is the same everywhere. They're, they're, yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it everywhere. Fellas, I hate to do this because it is such a fascinating discussion, but we have already reached literally the 90-minute mark on the program, and uh, my computer is screaming out at me that it's about to shut down for lack of battery. So we're going to have to... You've got to ask Keith one question. Would he do it again? <laughs> I've done this 60 times. It's addictive. The only thing that I would change is I, 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 I was thinking about this. I'd make up a sign that says Christian Zionists are traitors to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think we need to make a real provocative sign. We need to get people to come up and talk to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And something like that I think would be irresistible to some of these people to call them traitors. And skinheads. Honestly, that honestly, guys. I mean, that that is how uh, you know we need to visualize things. And you tell me the difference between these people going to these churches advocating killing millions of innocent people because they happen to be Muslims. What is the difference between between that and the uh, the stereotypic skinhead uh, that we have been exposed to through the Jewish media now for the last fifty years? Well, these people are more dangerous than skinheads because they have uh, they have popular support. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and and they're more dangerous too because their belief that they're right is they think their religion. Right. The skinhead he's got a political philosophy. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't know any very many skinheads, but I've known a few that actually I could talk to, mm-hmm. and uh, and they have a political philosophy, and 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 you can talk to them on Christian terms. But the, but the, but the, the, the these guys, there, there's, there's, this is ingrained into their religion. That's what's so dangerous about Christian Zionism, is they really believe that they have to believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, as I, as I said, I hate to do this, but we're okay. going to have to, we're going to have to cut it, uh, cut it short here. I could literally go on for another hour. This is so fascinating. But uh, if you guys would, uh, I'll give you just a minute apiece to say what you need to say, to speak your piece, and then we'll we'll, we'll cut you loose. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I think, yeah, well, I don't want to burn up your computer anymore. I think we did it uh, pretty much. Good. Kind of sealed it up uh, with 
Yeah. Okay. So, All right. <laughs> okay. Glad well, it very much. Good, uh, good conversation. Now, listen, guys, just hold on a second. I'm going to close out the program, but I want to at least uh, thank you both uh, off the air for coming on. So just uh, sit tight for just a moment, okay? Mm-hmm. And there you go, folks. You heard it here on this Wednesday, November the 16th, 2011 edition of the Ugly Truth Podcast. Two brave individuals, ladies and gentlemen, I would consider heroes, uh, have just uh, been on the program. And uh, let me tell you, I've been out on a few street protests, and when you're dealing with irrational creatures, such as the ones that were described herein, uh, it, it can be a little unsettling because you don't know what they're going to do next. But uh, this is the this is where the fight is, folks. If 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 we do not put this fire out, this anti-Islamic hysteria that is sweeping the country we will find ourselves at war with these people for a thousand years right for a thousand years and after our country has been destroyed has been bankrupted guess who's going to be laughing all the way to the bank i will leave that to you to fill in the blanks anyway that's it for today ladies and gentlemen as i am fond of saying on this program go out and do what you can to save what is left of this damaged and very dying world if not for yourself and certainly for the kids and grandkids who are going to be inheriting the whole bloody mess. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, keep the faith. The fact of the matter is we are coming from a country that...